All right, church, we left off with the book of Ruth with quite a cliffhanger uh, at the end of chapter three. If you'll remember, Ruth had gone uh, to Boaz in the middle of the night Uh, while he was at the threshing floor. She went in the middle of the night. She uncovered his feet, laid down there at his feet and essentially asked him to marry her. Um, She made some really bold moves and Boaz was struck by her humility And her love, honestly, for her mother-in-law, for Naomi. Naomi was a widow and was needy, was helpless, was hopeless, apart from um, a man marrying, redeeming Ruth. And so uh, Boaz knew that she could have chosen a younger, richer uh, man, but she didn't. She chose him, and she chose him because he was a qualified redeemer. He had the ability, the right to redeem their family. And that is really what the book of Ruth is all about. The main theme of this whole book is the idea of redemption, redemption. So I don't think I put this on your notes, but uh, we probably need to write a simple um, definition, a kind of a working definition for what it means to redeem. What does that mean? Well, to redeem means to release or to set free by payment. Think about that for a moment to release or set free by payment. So a a redeemer then is a person who rescues or delivers someone by paying a price. A redeemer is a person who rescues or delivers someone by paying a price. And so as we read through the book of Ruth, what we discover is it's all about redemption. It's pointing us to a redeemer. And we think it's Boaz. We get to the end of the book and we're like, wait, wait, wait a minute. Who actually is the ultimate redeemer the book is talking about? And so we see that Ruth is actually much more than a love story between one man and his redeeming of one woman. It's actually about the loving kindness of God to redeem anyone. Who comes to him in faith. Last time, Boaz had promised Ruth. Do you remember this expression? He said to Ruth, as the Lord lives, I will redeem you. And we found um, that promise to be beautiful. But right after he says that, or right in the midst of those promises, he uh, drops kind of a bomb. He says, I will redeem you. Then he goes, but there's actually another guy who is a nearer relative. He's a a closer relative, possibly Elimelech's brother. And it's actually his first right of redemption. So Boaz had promised to settle things that day. He wasn't going to let it linger. Right after making all those promises to Ruth, he was like, hold on a minute. He went off to the side and he loaded up a bunch of bread and loaded her down with bread. Do you remember that? Loaded her down with, uh, with lots of barley, um, like 70 pounds of barley. And uh, it was wild. That's, that's a strong shawl. Have you thought about that? Like, anyway. Loaded her down, put a whole bunch of barley in her shawl and sent her home. Um, so we pick things up here in chapter four. And I can't wait to dig into this story. I know you've been up and down a lot this morning. But uh, this will be the last time for a few minutes. Would you stand in honor of God's word as we read chapter four? This is the word of the Lord. 
Now Boaz had gone up to the gate and sat down there. And behold, the Redeemer of whom Boaz had spoken, he came by. So Boaz said, turn aside, friend, sit down here. And he turned aside and sat down and he took ten more of the elders of the city and he said, sit down here. So they sat down. Then he said to the Redeemer, Naomi, who has come back from the country of Moab, is selling the parcel of land that belonged to our relative Elimelech. So I thought I would tell you of it and say, buy it in the presence of those sitting here and in the presence of the elders of the people. If you will redeem it, redeem it. But if you will not, tell me that I may know, for there is no one besides you to redeem it, and I come after you. And he said, I will redeem it. All right, pause for a second. Right there, that, that moment, like if you were hearing this story told, would have been a shocker, right? You'd be like, what? No! Because all this time we've been reading of this romance developing between Boaz and Ruth, and now this guy, we don't even know his name, he's going to swoop in and what in the world? Pick it up in verse 5. Then Boaz said, The day you buy the field from the hand of Naomi, you also acquire Ruth, the Moabite, the widow of the dead, in order to perpetuate the name of the dead in his inheritance. Now, every word of that is really important. Verse 6. Then the Redeemer said, I cannot redeem it for myself, lest I impair my own inheritance. Take my right of redemption yourself, for I cannot redeem it. It's good news. Verse 7. Now this was the custom in former times in Israel concerning redeeming and exchanging to confirm a transaction. The one drew off his sandal and gave it to the other. And this was the manner of attesting in Israel. So when the Redeemer said to Boaz, buy it for yourself, he took off his sandal. And then Boaz said to the elders and all the people, you are witnesses this day that I have bought from the hand of Naomi all that belonged to Elimelech and all that belonged to Kilion and Malon. Also Ruth the Moabite, the widow of Malon, I have bought to be my wife. To perpetuate the name of the dead in his inheritance. That the name of the dead may not be cut off from among his brothers and from the gate of his native place. You are witnesses this day. Then all the people who were at the gate and the elders said, we are witnesses. May the Lord make the woman who is coming into your house like Rachel and Leah who together built up the house of Israel. May you act worthily and in Ephrathah and be renowned in Bethlehem. And may your house be like the house of Perez, whom Tamar bore to Judah, because of the offspring that the Lord will give you by this young woman. So Boaz took Ruth and she became his wife. And he went into her and the Lord gave her conception and she bore a son. Then the women said to Naomi, blessed be the Lord who has not left you this day without a redeemer. And may his name be renowned in Israel. 
He shall be to you a restorer of life and a nourisher of your old age for your daughter-in-law who loves you, who is more to you than seven sons, has given birth to him. Then Naomi took the child and laid him on her lap and became his nurse. And the women of the neighborhood gave him a name, saying, A son has been born to Naomi. And they named him Obed. He was the father of Jesse, the father of David. Now these are the generations of Perez. Perez fathered Hezron. Hezron fathered Ram. Ram fathered Aminadab. Aminadab fathered Nashon. Nashon fathered Salmon. Salmon fathered Boaz. Boaz fathered Obed. Obed fathered Jesse. Jesse fathered David. Let's pray. Oh Lord, our great Redeemer, we thank you now for your word. We ask that you would speak to us by your word, through your spirit. Help us to see and believe all that you have for us today. And if there be anyone, anyone here today who has not been redeemed by the blood of Jesus, may today be the day. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You can be seated. So, wow, right? What an incredible um, story of redemption. This last chapter, I I think, just breaks up naturally into three sections. And so what I want to do this morning is just talk about these three natural breaks and then give us maybe three big truths about God to hold on to. So the first natural break is this, that um, redemption, it's all about redemption and redemption is rejected. Redemption rejected. Verses one through six. It's amazing that. Boaz presents this nearer redeemer, a closer relative. He presents him with the opportunity to purchase land. And at first glance, it looks like a great deal, right? This guy is ready to jump at it. He's like, oh, I get first dibs on this prime piece of property. This is awesome. Yeah, I, I will redeem it, right? He jumps at it. To the Hebrew children that might have been sitting around a fire pit in the evening, listening to a story told like this, because this is the way um, Hebrew history is, is relayed, is through story in most cases. And as they're hearing the story and it's getting to this moment of climax, we've got this tension with Boaz, a redeemer, and this other guy, this unnamed but nearer relative redeemer. Everybody's like, what's going to happen? What's going to happen? Oh, what? Why would Boaz say it like that? Oh my gosh, why did, he, why did he pitch it as if it's a good deal? I mean, everybody's thinking that way. And then all of a sudden the man says, I will redeem it. And people are throwing things. It's a, it's a big moment. Everybody's upset by this. You can almost hear him gasp, you know, in disbelief. No, Ruth is supposed to be with Boaz. Well, then Boaz says, oh, by the way, When you buy the land, you also get the Moabite woman, right? He's intentional in the way he says all that he says. You get Ruth. And the idea here is not only do you get to marry her, but you you need to give her a child, hopefully a son. And then all that land that you've purchased and now invested in, you've put workers on and employees on, that when that boy of Ruth's grows up, 
he will inherit all of your investment. Now it makes sense, right? Why this man would reject the redemption. Boaz knew what he was doing in the way he pitched this to this other guy. He knew exactly what he was doing. We actually see some really good things, really cool things about Boaz. I was talking to Donnie this morning about how Boaz is a stud, man. He is, he is um, Donnie was saying, he's, man, he's become one of my heroes. I'm like, yes, he is quite the stud. Um, as I say that, I was thinking this week, I, my wife actually told me I was quite a stud muffin. Um, and I was like, really? And she was like, yeah, you're 30% stud, 70% muffin. And I was like, yeah. Okay. Yeah. So, let me speak to our men for a minute. Let's, let's listen and learn a good bit from Boaz. What we see here with Boaz is that he is wise. Incredibly wise. He's discerning. Uh, you might would even say he's shrewd. He's thoughtful about the way he presents this. He's not deceptive. He's not manipulative. He's giving the facts, but he's giving them in a strategic sequence. He met this guy in a business district. He immediately sits down with him, uh, gets him to sit down. He gathers elders of the town, witnesses, and he sits them down. This is a quickly moving to be a business transaction. He earns the man's trust by presenting him with the best part of the deal. And he says, listen, hey, you know, if you want to buy it, you should buy it and, and announce your, your willingness to purchase the land in front of all these people right now. So pressure's on, but he presents it in a very positive way, right? He's like, right now, what, what do you want to do? Well, the man jumped at the option. Then Boaz comes in with, um, and sobers him up with what's actually involved. I don't know if you've ever had buyer's remorse, but uh, I have. I get it all the time. I buy something, I walk out of the store, I'm like, ah, I should return that. Um, that might have... Been part of what Boaz was doing was just to capitalize on a moment, like to tell this guy, well, here's actually what's involved. It's not just that you get land, you actually get this woman and you need to give her a child. And when, when the child grows, all that you've invested in belongs to him. It's going to go with him. It's his inheritance. So Boaz is wise. He's no dummy. One other thing, men, that I notice about Boaz here is he's a fighter. You see there's some strength in this brother, like he tells Ruth, I'm going to deal with this. Naomi's like, oh, he's going to settle that today, right? And then immediately goes down to the business district and he just sits and waits on this near redeemer to come. As soon as the guy comes, he says, hey, friend, we've got some business, you and I. Would you sit for a moment? He's not, he does not delay. He doesn't wait to deal with this issue. He doesn't avoid conflict, man. He's not afraid. He's strong. He's confident. He, he knew this would be a huge moment determining the future. It's kind of a fork in the road. What's going to happen to these women? And this issue cannot wait. This is going to require a lot of courage. And so we see that Boaz is a fighter. He, he wanted to marry Ruth. And he skillfully negotiated and fought for her. He's a fighter. Boaz is not just wise, not just a fighter. He's actually noble. 
He's very noble. Did you notice that he's unwilling to cheat God's law, God's rules? He doesn't go around the system. He goes straight through it. Boaz would not compromise his integrity, his character, just to get the woman that he loved. Boaz was constantly asking the question, what is the right thing to do? That's what I will do. In a day when um, everyone around him, you know, this is in the time of the judges and everyone around him is doing what's right in their own eyes. Boaz was determined to do what's right in God's eyes. This is a high mark for manhood, men. To not just think you know best, but to consult the Lord and what the Lord says, that's what you determine to do. God doesn't call men to be autonomous, to be individualistic, to be like, well, you know what? Whatever I say, that's what goes. No, a real man says whatever God says, that's what goes. Boaz is unwilling to compromise on these things. He's a noble man. Where are men of character? Where are men of great strength and resolve like this man? Where are men with integrity? Where are men who will trust the Lord and do what the Lord says? Where are these men? Rise up, brothers. Let's be these men. Well, the man who was first in line to redeem now recognizes all that's involved, considers the cost, and it is for him too high. He knew that buying this land would be very expensive. Caring for Naomi and Ruth, also very expensive. Giving Ruth a child, maybe multiple children, would also be, I do know this, very expensive. And then ultimately to have all of that investment be lost as those children grow. For him, he says it himself. I cannot jeopardize my own inheritance for this expense. He says, take my right of redemption. I cannot redeem it. I hope you see the contrast in these two men. We have a really stark contrast between this nearer redeemer, who, by the way, is unnamed. I don't think that's coincidence. The author had to have known his name. Boaz knew his name. Ruth would have known his name. Naomi would have known his name. I mean, he's the nearer relative of Elimelech, possibly Elimelech's brother. Why not mention his name? Well, that's intentional. This man is only concerned about his own interests, right? As he hears the need, he he doesn't well up with compassion for these needy women. He doesn't well up with compassion for his deceased relative and their their lineage, that lineage where he needs to he needs to um, take on the obligation of of the law and, and to redeem these people and give them a, a heritage. He doesn't. Since that, his only concern to quote him is this. I cannot for myself, lest I impair my own inheritance. Do you hear the words in his rejection? It's all self-interest. And we see a biblical principle here. That the one who is so concerned about preserving himself has actually been blotted out of the pages of biblical redemptive history. We don't even know who he is. 
The contrast between he and Boaz is that Boaz's name is renowned, right? And Boaz is the one who redeems, not for his own interest, not for his own sake, but for the name to be uh, continued on, the name of the line to be continued on. He's serving, he's giving, not out of self-interest, but out of compassion and love for someone else. And it is Boaz who would be um, remembered and his name would be renowned. This man, his name would be forgotten. Makes me think of what Jesus said in Luke 9, verse 24, when he said that those who seek to save their life will lose it. But those who lose their life for his sake will find it. So redemption rejected in the first six verses. And then we see in verses 7 through 10, redemption accomplished. Redemption accomplished. With, with this other guy out of the way, with, with Mr., uh, Mr. No Name gone and out of the picture, Boaz steps to the front. He publicly declares his fulfillment of a promise. He speaks out loud in front of these witnesses, in front of the elders, and he says, I will purchase the land from Elimelech, all the property that belongs to uh, Kilion and Malon, I'll buy all of it. And I will take Ruth as my wife so that the name of this family will not be forgotten. What he had promised when he said, as the Lord lives, I will redeem you. He now fulfills. Boaz is a promise keeper. The agreement was then sealed with a public sign. It's weird for us, right? This guy took off his shoe and holds it up and hands it to Boaz. This is a really strange tradition for them. But in my mind's eye, here's the way I see that playing out. You know, in the public square, there's a lot of words being exchanged. And maybe the witnesses may not have heard every detail of all the agreement. But what they see with their eyes is a man voluntarily taking his shoe off. And handing it to another man, that man taking the shoe, holding it up, making a declaration. And so they see with their eyes a willingness from both parties. No one is being um, manipulated to do what they're doing. They are voluntarily making a commitment one to the other. He's passing his right of redemption to Boaz. And it's a sign, a public sign of this covenant. Well, we believe in that, don't we? I mean, marriage is a public sign of a covenant. Baptism is a public sign of the covenant with Christ. We, we do these things as well. And for all those observing, this was a visible statement that this transaction was complete. Those who witnessed this were so overwhelmed by what they'd seen, like so overwhelmed that they begin to to speak crazy, beautiful prophecies and blessings over this household. They, they believe that God is up to something greater than just a, a marriage and a purchase of land. Like when you hear what these witnesses say, we see this third layer of the chapter and it is redemption anticipated. What we see is that This story of a transaction, of a legal transaction, the exchanging of a shoe, a a public declaration is not the end of the story. There's something greater to, to come, like there's anticipation that's built. These witnesses in verses 11 through 12, 11 and 12, they they start blessing prophetically. They speak blessing over Ruth first. They say, may this woman Be like Rachel and Leah. 
Who were Rachel and Leah? Do you remember? They are the matriarchs of Israel, right? These are the women through whom God gave us the 12 tribes of Israel. Now, now, think for a moment what is being declared over this woman. And who is she? Who is Ruth? What do we know about Ruth? Where is she from? She's a Moabite, right? She's an outsider. She's a, she was an idolater. She was a, a woman that would have been of ill repute. You know, there was a time in the history when the women of Moab were seducing the men of Israel. And God ultimately judged those, those Israelite men by killing 24,000 of them because of seductive women from Moab. Women of Moab were not um, highly regarded. It's probably one of the big reasons why this nearer redeemer, when Boaz said, oh, by the way, when you buy the land, you also get Ruth. The Moabite. It might have been one of the reasons why the guy was like, ooh. That's going to be a no, man. It's going to be a no. Can't do that. But here we have a Moabite woman. And these witnesses are saying over her, may she be blessed like Rachel and Leah. This is huge. I mean, think about what God is doing here. A woman who deserves... Physically or or humanly speaking, to be cast aside and put out is being elevated to a place of high honor. Look at God. Look at what God can do. Your past does not always determine your future, right? God is blessing Ruth. And then they speak a blessing over Boaz. May you act worthily and be renowned in Bethlehem. Your name be known and highly regarded in Bethlehem. And this would come to pass. Boaz would be honorable. His name would be honored not only in Bethlehem, but in all the region. We are speaking his name in high regard today, thousands of years later. And then they bless their household. And this is powerful. They say, may your house be like the house of Perez. Whom Tamar bore to Judah. There's a lot here, way more than we have time for. But if you want to read and do a little homework, you ought to read Genesis 38. And you'll discover um, how incredible this is. The, the story of how Perez comes into the picture is very scandalous. You have Ultimately, a woman who, when her father-in-law would not give her a son to redeem, she ended up getting him drunk and getting pregnant by her father-in-law to continue the line. It's scandalous, I know, right? The whole story is pretty wild. You ought to read it. It's really wild. But what we find is that God even blesses all that scandal. And through the line of Perez, we work our way down to a man named Boaz. 
And so these people are actually calling on the history, what they've seen God do. And they're saying, they're saying over Boaz and over Ruth and this family, they're saying, this is kind of scandalous. Reminds me a little bit of, of you know, when Tamar and Judah got together and they had Perez. But God blessed it in great and mighty ways. And they speak over them. May God bless your home like he blessed Perez. It's scandalous and it's Glorious. Can you think of another scandalous, glorious baby that came into the world in Bethlehem? A virgin girl. All the world, including her betrothed husband, thought she was a cheater. Wanted to divorce her and put her away. It was a scandal, right? Here's a woman who's a young woman who's pregnant and she's telling me she's pregnant because of God. Yeah, heard lots of stories. That's a new one. Scandalous, right? And yet glorious. And here in this moment, we have this crazy picture. And, and then they, they, they speak a blessing, not just over this scandalous, glorious union, but over the offspring of this union. That's a strange word. Why wouldn't they say the children or the son that you're going to have? Why wouldn't they use those words? They use the word offspring, which is the word seed, which should point our minds all the way back to Genesis 3.15 when right after Adam and Eve sinned in the garden, he said, your offspring will be at enmity with the serpent. The serpent will bruise his heel, but your offspring, your Your offspring will crush the serpent's head. Your seed. Mm. And here those words are used again. May God bless your seed, your offspring. This is powerful. These witnesses, they'd heard stories of God blessing scandalous unions, of God opening barren mother's wombs, right? Abraham and Sarah. Sarah was barren for years and years and years. God gives Isaac. This is a big moment. And then Isaac and Rebecca. Rebecca is barren, unable to have children. All of a sudden, God blesses with twins, right? Esau and Jacob. Then we know Samson's mother was barren. And then God blessed her with a boy who ended up being, you know, Incredible Hulk or something. But Samson was born. Then Hannah, right? That story's coming in Samuel, but Hannah... She's barren. She prays and God blesses her with a son who is Samuel, a prophet who would speak over and bless another young man named David. This is not the first time and it won't be the last time that God is going to bless the birth of a scandalous, glorious baby. The Bible tells us that Obed is born. And then the narrator quickly tells us that he grew up. He fathered Jesse and Jesse fathered who? David, David, the king, David. So Boaz redeeming Ruth is the main storyline, isn't it? That's what we've been hearing all about. But then all of a sudden we realize that's not the end of the story. That the redemption that we saw with the exchanging of a shoe is not the end of the story. There's a baby in the lap of a woman. And inside that baby, he's going to be the father of another man named Jesse. And Jesse's going to father King David. And the author who's writing the story is writing it in such a way that we see that this is the climax. That God's bringing David, King David, who will be the redeemer of his people. In, um, in 2008, 
my favorite superhero character uh, debuted in the movie theater, Iron Man. Anybody else like Iron Man? I've, Iron Man's always been my dude, right? I've always liked Iron Man. Maybe because he was a regular guy, and then all of a sudden he was like, he wasn't a sudden muffin like I am. So, um, I've always loved Iron Man. But in 2008, the movie debuts. I'm there with some buddies of mine. We're watching the movie. It's awesome. It finishes with this super climactic scene where Tony Stark stands in front of uh, a press release, and he takes a microphone and he says, I am Iron Man, right? Takes his glasses off. And it's like, wait a minute. Superheroes aren't supposed to do that. Ooh, this is huge, right? It's this huge climax, and you think, whoa. And then the movie ends, and it's like, oh, that was awesome. That was so good. We, me and my buddies, we got it. We were walking out of the theater like, oh, that was awesome. So good. And then all of a sudden, the credits are rolling. All of a sudden, there's this post-credit scene that comes on the screen. And I was like, whoa, 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 whoa. Sit back down, sit back down. Right? We sit back down, we watch, and Tony Stark's there in his home, and he turns on the lights, and all of a sudden, this, this man, this figure, starts speaking to him, and he, he turns around, and it's Nick Fury of S.H.I.E.L.D. And Nick Fury looks at Tony Stark, and he says, you just, you don't understand. You, you probably never heard of the Avengers. And he introduces this idea of the Avengers to Iron Man, and then, and then the movie stops. And you go, oh my gosh, Iron Man's going to become an Avenger. They're going to make another movie. This is incredible. What happened in that movie is you realize that in this scene, the story is actually much bigger than you thought it was. In the same way, what's happening here at the end of Ruth, we get kind of a post-credit scene where we thought Naomi holding this little baby, you're like, oh, this is and then you go, oh my gosh, it's not just about the baby. There's Jesse and King David. And then we have a New Testament perspective, don't we? That it's not just about King David either, is it? There's another baby yet to come through the line of David. The story of Ruth is much bigger than they knew. It's the backstory of Bethlehem. It's how God brought his people back. It's how God made it the city of David where a savior would be born. And so here I want us to look at three big truths about God. First thing is this. God is always doing more than you can imagine. He's always doing more than you can imagine. We thought this was a love story. And instead, this is the story of how God is going to bring his redeemer, his ultimate redeemer into the world. The story of Ruth and Boaz comes to a close. The camera zooms in on Naomi, the the baby Obed. She's bouncing in her lap. She's singing Hebrew lullabies. I don't know what that sounds like, but it's what I imagine. But then we learn that this baby grows up, fathers Jesse, Jesse fathers David. And then, then it hits us, right? Five verses to the end of the book, and we finally find out why this story is even in the Bible. Apart from this ending, it's it's just a cool story. But now we see how it points us to Jesus, right? All of a sudden, we see what God was working in the midst of a season of judges where it looked like God was nowhere. 
Like, what, God, where are you? People are going crazy, stupid, and we don't know where you are. Why, why have you abandoned us and left us? And in the middle of that season of life, we have this story of Boaz and Ruth and baby Obed being born through a crazy, awesome redemption and through Obed and Jesse and then ultimately David. And now we know not just David, but Jesus. This is not just a surprising romance. It's not just a portrait of loyal friendship and the chivalry of a, of a godly man, a gentleman. This is, this is a story about a baby. To be born in Bethlehem, a baby through whom real and lasting redemption would ultimately be fulfilled. It's not just about Obed, it's about Jesus. And secondly, God's always doing more than you would imagine. God is king of the happy ending. I want you to think about this for a moment. This book ends in true Hallmark style, doesn't it? Mm. My wife has gotten my daughters hooked on Hallmark. It's really sad, honestly. But I have to put up with it. I see it on the screen all the time. And even though I know what's coming, I know what's going to happen. I know the, 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 the guy and the girl who you know, have fought and whatnot through the movie are going to end up together in the end. They're going to kiss and that's going to be the end. Like That's when the credits roll. Um, but this story finishes in true Hallmark style. But we cannot just skip the reality that we have a, a woman who has been fulfilled by the Lord at the end of this story. So some of us really just need to let this truth simmer for just a minute. If God is your redeemer, listen, life will always have a happy ending. And that may be a hard pill to swallow. And the reason it's hard is because we know life sometimes is really tough. Just this morning, I woke up, my wife was looking at social media and told me of a friend of ours who had passed away in her 40s. Tragic. This story of Naomi and Ruth and Boaz it rides the roller coaster of life's ups and downs. It, it twists and turns. It's, it dips into deep depression, deep sadness, which is legit. Like there's stuff in life that is awful, right? It's funny. It's like real life. We live in a broken world. We are broken people and life is hard. But with God as your redeemer, you are guaranteed a happy ending. And I'm not just trying to be cheesy here. Listen to me. The, the curtain closes on this story with Naomi's lap full of blessing and hope. Boaz and Ruth are happily married. God has given them a son to carry on the family line. It's almost surreal. It's, it's, it's too happy. It's, it's hallmark. Naomi is literally holding a baby boy in her arms again. This is the woman who... Her husband died. Her two sons, her only hope for life, they've all died. She came back to Bethlehem saying, the hand of the Lord is against me. She's now humming lullabies. This baby in her lap is the physical evidence that her life is not empty, that God is not against her, that she is not alone, that she will not be abandoned. Church, we must believe this. 
This story we see from the beginning, God takes people from death to life, right? The story opens, the book opens with the heaviness of the grief of three terrible funerals, but it closes with the celebration of a brand new life. God takes us from death to life. God moves from cursing to blessing, right? Naomi and her family had run from the Lord because of a famine. Rather than running to Him, they suffered under His judgment. The worst curse would have been blotting out their names from history, but God didn't do that. He blessed them. The chances of this family making it through all this were slim to none, right? But God, God turns bitterness to joy. Naomi, whose name means pleasant, when she came back to Bethlehem, she's like, don't call me pleasant. You call me bitter. I'm a mad woman. She was. But God worked in small and big ways, not only to rescue her from the circumstances, but ultimately to renew in her a happy heart. And some of us need that. We need God to Open us up, crack the shell of bitterness and anger and hurt. Crack all that hard callous away and give you a new happy heart. How's that going to happen? You have to believe that God is the king of happy endings. And God makes the empty to be full. You know, she said, I'm empty, but look at her now. Baby in her lap, the fullness of joy. She is full of God's kindness. God takes those who are drowning in despair and fills them with hope. The book ends with such hopeful words of promise over this baby. If you're in Christ, listen, your life will have a happy ending. And you say, how do you know that? I know that. Listen, it could end in old age. It could end at 40 You could die of natural causes. You could die of cancer. You could die in a car wreck. You can die of a gunshot. But the guarantee of the gospel is the good news that death is not the end. God has redeemed sinners from being dead in sin to being alive in Christ. And we live with a hope in God that will not disappoint. So for all the redeemed in Christ who are struggling with this reality, maybe your life doesn't feel like a happy ending right now. Let me tell you what Jesus said. He said, I say these things to you that in me, Jesus said, in me, you may have peace in this world. You will have tribulation. But take heart for I have overcome the world. This is the words of our Redeemer. And this takes us to the third truth. God wants to redeem you. God wants to redeem you. The biggest question mark on the book of Ruth is this. Are you redeemed by God? The truth is you need a redeemer. We all do. We are just like Ruth and Naomi. We cannot save ourselves. We are sinners who need a savior. So Boaz redeemed them. How was he able to do it? Let me tell you these three things and we'll be finished. Boaz had the right to redeem. The right to redeem. He was related to them. He was what the Bible calls a kinsman redeemer. And like Boaz, Jesus became a man. So that he could fully relate to you. This is what we celebrate at Christmas. It's the birth of of a redeemer. 
It's the birth of the Son of God. This wasn't just the birth of a baby. It was God Himself come in flesh. This is the incarnation. Jesus came in flesh and blood to deliver you. He came to be your Redeemer. Jesus has the right to redeem. Secondly, Boaz had the resources to redeem. The cost of redeeming Ruth and and Naomi and all the land was very high. It was so high, in fact, that others couldn't or wouldn't pay it, right? The cost to redeem sinners is death. Do you understand? The Bible says the wages of sin is what? Death. But the gift of God is everlasting life in Christ Jesus The cost to redeem sinners was death. Not just anybody can die for you. Much as I love you, I cannot die for you. Why? Why can I not give my life in place of yours? Because I need to be saved too. I'm a sinner just like you. A sinner cannot die for a sinner. That's why we need Jesus. He's the only one with the resources to redeem. The resources is a sinless life. That's the cost of your salvation. The old system was to cover sin by the death of a spotless lamb. But Jesus brings in a new covenant. He didn't just cover our sin. Animals wouldn't suffice. Jesus didn't want to just cover your sin. He wanted to cleanse it. So he died himself for you. Jesus has the resources to redeem. And the good news is he didn't stay dead. Right, church? He rose from the dead so that you would know that he's good for his promise. He promises eternal life and then he comes back from the dead to prove he can deliver. Thirdly, Boaz had the resolve to redeem. The resolve. What do I mean by that? Well, this other man thought about the cost and decided it was too much. He he just couldn't, couldn't do it, right? There was no stopping Boaz. He was on a mission of love. And in the same way, Jesus is on and was on a mission of love. He has the resolve to redeem you. He came because God is love. Why did did Jesus come for God so loved the world that he sent his only son, right? If you doubt the resolve of the love of Christ for sinners, don't just look to the manger. Look to the cross. Jesus was born to die. The Bible tells us that God demonstrates his love for us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. He has the resolve to save you. He, Jesus, has the right, the resources and the resolve to redeem. So I ask you again, have you been redeemed? Have you been redeemed by Jesus Christ? Do you have a relationship with your Redeemer? What unfolds after Boaz has this transaction of redemption is a relationship. Redemption inevitably means relationship. You cannot get saved and just go back to life as usual. It's a real relationship with Christ. Do you have that? Have you been redeemed by him? Remember, Ruth brought herself to Boaz uncovered his feet, laid his feet, and asked him to redeem her. Jesus is willing to redeem. Are you willing to be redeemed?
Praise.